welcome everybody to Boxes and Lines Live. This is day three of three. Welcome to Boxes and Lines Live. We're live for three days in a row. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, guests. Sorry, sorry. We have to do. We have to get it over with. It's part of our. It makes part sense. Of our brand. It's a, it's a, it's a bad Irish yeah, accent. Sorry. So um, day three of three, and just wanted to make an announcement. If you have any questions during this. Put them in the Q&A field and uh, Sarah from IEX will jump in and ask any questions. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll kick this off and say, obviously things have changed quite a bit in this industry. And uh, Wall Street isn't the bastion of bestoke suits and loafers that it used to be. <laughs> look at I us, think, look at us. I think you mean bespoke, <laughs> I know. don't you? I'm yes. just like, I, I never like to read things, but I have to do an intro. Um, but what is it then? How does it work? So Ree Sharma, the voice behind Instagram's Wall Street Confessions and Brian Henley, the CEO of media company Bowler Studios, have a window you might find not find anywhere else. So thanks guys for joining us. I'm gonna read both of their bios and then I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves. Any Irish accent? No, I'm okay, done. Cool. I'm done for this one. Go ahead. So uh, Re, actually we were talking just before we joined this while she was at university studying finance and uh, recruiting and trying to find a job in investment banking. She started uh, Wall Street Confessions it's been profoundly successful and very, very quickly. She's been profiled in Forbes, Vanity Fair France, uh, Business Insider, and more. Uh, Wall Street Confessions is a community of over 121,000 finance professionals, which is pretty incredible, who anonymously share their stories on a daily basis. All confessions are edited, curated, and posted. Uh, for her day job, she actually has a day job as well, recreates content for uh, uh, content strategy for Stockwitz. Uh, she also created a content strategy for Bullish Studio, which is Brian's company, which we'll introduce next. Um, Brian is the founder, CEO of Bullish, an emerging creator, first financial media company. Prior to uh, Bullish, he was at uh, Vice Media, which I'm sure you love, John. I thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Director of sales there for a number of years, mm -hmm. but also senior director of uh, client partnerships for unique culture-defining partnerships with massive brands we all know, like Airbnb. Google and Unilever. And I thought I'd start with you, Ree. Sorry for the long-winded intro, mm -hmm. but we always like to do like an intro and explain who we're talking to today. But Ree, I thought it'd be interesting if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and kind of talk about the creation of uh, Wall Street Confessions. Please. Yeah, so my name is Ree. I live in New York. I started Wall Street Confessions a little under three years ago when I was recruiting for investment banking and I was majoring in finance. Um, from the age of 16, when I picked up investment banking for dummies, I thought mergers and acquisitions were literally the coolest thing in the world and all I wanted to do. <laughs> um, and then as I grew up and kind of went to school and started following very popular pages, such as liquidity and not your father's broker, um, I realized that they were talking about a lot of things, but they weren't really talking about what's going on inside of the banks. So I decided to open up the conversation and let people anonymously submit whatever was going on in their lives. Um, and it took off and now we're almost at 125,000 followers. It sounds like a lot of people had uh, a lot of things that they wanted to say that they really didn't have a vehicle for expressing uh, probably before you created this. Yeah, I mean, mm. We have around 710 posts, but I have thousands and thousands of confessions just kind of sitting in one place to look through and read and edit every day. Nice. And one thing I'm curious about is it, it, at, at some level, 
do you view this as a vehicle for at some level it's a it's a way for people to vent um you know but um but is it really just a a mechanism for people to gripe about things that they um problems they have or they or is it also potentially a vehicle for change and do you think that there's uh, can can do you have any sense about whether there has been any impact from this um, vehicle being available to people? Yeah, so I mean, people also send in their wins pretty often. Um, someone a few days ago sent in that they used to work in sales and trading. They were miserable. Um, there was one managing director that consistently just kind of harassed them or wasn't so nice to them. They went into real estate, developed a building, the MD bought a place in it and then the look on the managing director's face when they found out that the person that they were bothering on the trading floor um, was the developer was allegedly priceless but I do think that it's more than just gripes and um, it's one of the most transparent conversations happening in finance right now because junior employees aren't under fear of HR they aren't under fear of their seniors seeing it and one of the most tangible things that we've done so far is we've hosted a Zoom lunch with Rich Handler and a number of junior analysts right when the burnout conversation really started. Brian was on it. Um, and we had various people send in how they were really feeling and actionable changes that Jeffries could implement. And uh, Rich sat down with about 10 people and really heard a lot of people out. And you know, starting from one CEO, I would hope in the next two years that we could get a Jamie Dimon or a Kathy Wood to come and speak to the audience as well. Yeah. And, and Rich Handler is a legend. So the fact that he joined, that that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, I, and I've noticed that he's posted a fair amount on uh, our comments um, as well. Uh, as right. So yeah, he's great. Somebody that we definitely know well. Yep. And let's, uh, Brian, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. And uh, tell us a little bit about Bullish and its creation and, and maybe your and Reeves tie to one. Uh, that'd be interesting, please. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, my name is Brian Henley. I'm the founder and CEO of Bullish. Uh, Bullish is about uh, a year and a half old uh, at this point. And um, we, uh, it was, um, I guess my background, um, I was uh, a media buyer and planner uh, for Samsung for, uh, for a few years right out of school. So I really got to understand how to build brands and advertise uh, you know, cell phones uh, to audiences of all shapes and sizes and, you know, uh, industries. So uh, it was a lot of fun to kind of cut my teeth there and ultimately um, learned a lot about a lot of digital publishers and what ultimately moved the needle for brands. Uh, I jumped over to Vice uh, about uh, six years ago and was on the sales and partnerships team there. So as you were saying, uh, you know, in, in the intro, I, I worked on some of the kind of larger partnerships between kind of key clients like Airbnb, Samsung, Google, and, and others. And while I was there, one area that was really exciting was this kind of, uh, we saw this huge trend, um, this was years ago, uh, of you know, millennials as they became older were becoming more engaged in finance and, in, and, and with money. So you know, Vice at the time was kicking around ideas for like, what would Vice's storytelling look like for financial, certain financial topics? Um, they, you know, we, we kind of dabbled with it and um, ultimately just never really got it off the ground for a variety of different reasons. Um, and I had the kind of entrepreneurial spirit uh, from my, kind of always in me. So I left and ultimately um, kind of you know, started bullish with uh, a kind of a, a few things in mind uh, that, that, that were important in the media industry and advertising industry. Um, one of the most important is talent. Um, you know, a lot of media companies right now, and you're seeing uh, kind of a, a, you know, a ton of this with um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of press around the New York Times and, you know, their, their move to launching newsletters. But ultimately, you know, at, at, you know, talent is 
the engagement. You know, talent is the reason why people are watching Visits and Marrow on Viceland TV, or you know, the reason why you're you know going to you know Vice's music site for Action Bronson. So you know, we were keen to forge partnerships with creators in the space, uh, whether they're a Twitter personality on YouTube, TikTok, you name it, and really understand kind of what they needed to do, what what they needed. Uh, and what they need in order to uh, grow their presence, grow their presence on, you know, from their audience size, their engagement, their monetization, their operations, um, really wherever we could, you know, help out, we can. And that led us to sign our first deal with Ramp Capital, who's a pretty influential Twitter uh, voice in the space. Um, and from there, we essentially helped him, you know, grow his, um, you know, grow his uh, monetization. And, and from there, that kind of was the domino into how I ultimately met Ree and Wall Street Confessions, where, we were helping a financial services brand uh, advertise uh, across Instagram and re on Wall Street Confessions, you know, we were reaching out to her and she was like, hey, look, I'm looking for a, for a job. You know, your, your Instagram sucks. Can I start to run it? And that was actually, uh, I, I hired was, her on the phone. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that was like a Saturday afternoon phone call. And I think I just hired her and I was like, great, take the keys to the castle and start to go. And, um, you know, that led to us eventually, you know, repping Wall Street Confessions and ultimately, you know, and she'll tell you more about the newsletter, but that was uh, an example of, um, of how we met one creator. And I think it's an important, like, as we meet other creators that we're always like, they always come in through the most non-traditional channels or it's all really driven by the network. Um, so yeah, that's kind of our story. And yeah, we're about 15 people right now, fully bootstrapped. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we've got a lot going on here that we'd love to, to tell you about. So you have uh, the bullish symbol is a raccoon, if I'm um, interpreting that correctly. Um, you want to give us a hint as to the uh, back backdrop of that? We already know the answer. But yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, look, so, you know, one of the there's, there's a few kind of core principles that bullish is founded on. And I think really what it gets at is that we're trying to, you know, generally bring transparency um, to to markets, to, you know, to, you know, to, you know, to the industry. Um, so uh, the raccoon was inspired by uh, this idea that, you know, Wall Street's messy uh, and they, they have a lot of garbage and uh, ultimately we're kind of sniffing around and you'll always be able to, you know, the, the raccoon is always sniffing in the dumpster. Uh, they're, mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're never where, where you are, but they could also be kind of cute and fuzzy. So, uh, you know, we ultimately lean into that for, for our logo. And I think you'll be able to see around different cities. We've got, you'll, you'll see these floating around and uh, it just speaks to, you know, our ties to New York and just generally, you know, city culture. Um, but yeah, so you'll see it around and it's a flexible logo for us. So you'll see it pop into videos and others. Other, yeah. other there are some people whose trash cans we'd love to have you go out and sneak around in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I won't we'll, mention, we'll, we'll mention any addresses. particular names offhand, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, what I would say is this, like, you know, it's really interesting how like what TMZ has done to the entertainment industry, nobody has really been able to do th to the financial industry. Um, you know, when, when big, you know, investors go on CNBC, I mean, come on, ask the ask questions that actually matter. And I think what we've seen is a lot of complicity, you know, just a lot of, um, you know, just uh, the interviewers being complicit in, in the, the questions that they're answering because they want that person to come back on because they realize how valuable getting Buffett on, you know, and getting access to that, you know, that interview or that, that that annual conferences and ultimately like nobody's like who's asking the question the tough questions on investor relation calls of like mid-market companies right it's analysts that all have kind of generally like a you know th there's a lot of um you know biasedness or just generally they've been in that industry for forever so nobody's asking tough questions and we want to ultimately shine a light on that through a lot of the content that we're doing that's great so uh back to re before before we got on the call i was kind of asking questions because as a as a father of an 18 year old girl and you had started this when you were 19, 
And, and I believe you had some uh, family members who worked on Wall Street and you thought that might be something that you would want to do. And it's kind of seems like an alluring job when you're in college. And then you met with some frustration in that, um, I guess, on the, uh, the, the sell side, some people weren't getting back to you. So you created something uh, which is which is growing profoundly big, which which is incredible and fair dues to you, I guess. Just just before we went on to Brian, we were talking about how like Rich Handler showed up for a call. I'm just curious on on this social listening. Do you see other leaders on Wall Street listening? Are they following this? Like I admittedly in this, I know this is a long-winded question as I ramble on, yes, but before rather, we did this podcast, I learned, I learned from watching you. <laughs> um, uh, we, were, we were reading some of your posts uh, on the desk about like a half an hour ago. Daniel Cement, our COO, was a big fan. And some of it, you know, and I'm guessing you you create them because you said there's 700 and some odd posts and you get thousands. They're really, there's, there's, a, there's a huge amount of humor to them, but there's also a message. And I'm just curious, it, it, that, that's the goal, obviously, I assume. And do you see people listening? I, I can't even. It, yeah, it, I don't even know. What's their question? There? I, yes, please. Sorry, Take he just away. heckles me all the time. <laughs> Um, don't worry, I heckle Brian all the time, so I thank everyone on this. Um, that. But yeah, I think people are definitely listening. There was something that someone sent in the other day about a staffer having to reprimand an analyst for having multicolored nail polish, and that's not a conversation <laughs> someone would have had on Instagram yeah. about an investment bank, I think, three years ago, and I did a poll on whether or not that was apropos and people were flooding my DMs just like chiming in with their two cents. And what I've noticed is that everyone was like, this analyst should be able to do whatever she wants to her nails. Why does the staffer care? Why does the director care? And you know, me from three years ago, I was a lot more clean cut than I am now. I mean, I didn't have any tattoos and now I literally have like 15 or 16. Um, and I never thought I'd get a job at a bank if I were like that. And I think people are listening and they're realizing that nothing matters really except for cash flow or you know it's all about the bucks right but then outside of that they're also yeah. realizing that people are people and these like pedantic things don't matter as much um like nails or like what loafers you're wearing right well and and speaking of that i'm assuming that um you, you created this mechanism um certainly for other than uh certainly not for not for senior management, not just for white males. I'm assuming that the demographic of the people who post for you is much broader than that. Uh, and is that a, um, it, 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 are there any conclusions you dr can draw from the stories that you get um, and that you read about the state of Wall Street in terms of trying to be more inclusive, being welcoming, being, um, you know, to women, people of color, uh, you know, LGBTQ, whatever it might be. Yeah. So, I mean, my biggest conclusion is that Wall Street can and should do better. And the state of diversity and inclusion right now is ostracizing more people than it's helping. Yeah. Can you give a sense of e either of you as to you're obviously aware of the um, um increased interest in trading among, you know, millennial investors, uh, the Reddit crowd, we had Monday of this, where Monday? Yeah, it was Monday. It feels like it does. Um, we had, you know, uh, folks uh, in, um, talking specifically about, um, uh, to that crowd, uh, because they are uh, kind of represent that group, um, 
there are, are, are you tapped into that at all? Obviously the people that you are reaching are much broader than that. Um, but I guess I'm just interested in common threads in terms of young people um, finding ways to kind of empower themselves, whether it's um, in, in investing or fighting for, uh, you know, better conditions um, at, in, in their workplace or kind of whatever it might be. Do you see this as part of a broader trend of use of social media um, to um, give, to, to empower younger people in all kinds of different ways that they would not have been able to access? Yeah. Um, so, so a couple of things that I would say to that, I'd, I'd first of all say that like, yes, across the board, there's obviously increased interest, uh, you know, driven by Corona and a lot of other kind of, you know, macro and micro events that have, that have transpired. Um, but I think that, you know, what, what, what we're seeing is something that was kind of inevitable. Um, and, and to, to go deeper into that, if you look at and zoom out to like 2008 and where a majority of millennials were in their kind of, um, in their career, you know, right out of, you know, they're, they're still in school, you know, we're just getting out of school. Um, and I think, you know, what, what you saw was that, you know, there's this huge, holy shit, you know, markets actually can affect my life. My parents lost their job, all this stuff was happening. And I think there was this frustration at the time of like, well, what can we do about it? And I think, you know, throughout the next kind of, you know, five, 10 years, everybody is like, basically like, hey, look, like, you know, you can go vote, go vote, you know, and that, and that was really like the, you know, the, the message. But I, I don't really think that people truly understood the value that, you know, them investing in the market could bring and the fact that you could also vote with your dollar. And there, there, there has some, some pretty major um, you know, impacts when you can vote with your dollar. Um, you know, there are shareholder meetings, you know, these are publicly traded companies. Um, and I think that for the longest time, a lot of just retail investors <laughs> felt like they didn't really have a voice. And I think when you look at the origins of Wall Street bets, it was very much, you know, fuck the system, right? They were, they were the radicals. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of those people too. And it, it's funny how like, you know, sometimes traditional Wall Street folks will say, oh, the, you know, the Wall Street bets crowd. Those were hedge funds. Those were hedge fund people. Those were, you know, degenerates in their parents' basements. There was a mix of people from all walks of life that were part of the OG Wall Street bets community. Um, mm -hmm. And I think Robinhood put fuel on the fire to that. Um, and there's a really interesting correlation chart. If you look at when Robinhood released options on their app, and the correlation of growth to the Wall Street Bets uh, subreddit is basically like one for one. They both grew together. And I mm -hmm. think it just goes to show that, you know, the only thing that was really missing from, you know, brokers and from all this is the social element to it. There was no social media was not connected to the markets. Um, mm -hmm. And now it is. Uh, so we're finally seeing that convergence. And, and look, it's been around for a while. Like, uh, you know, the, the penny stock, you know, penny stocks back in the 2000s were obviously talked a lot about on Yahoo chat rooms and AOL chat rooms. But I think we're seeing that just due to how many more people have the internet now and how much more modern we are, we're seeing that with gasoline, that energy with gasoline on it. So it's, it's exciting to be a part of and, and watch because I think ultimately the story is going to end well. Um, and I think everybody was worried that, oh, you know, retail investors are going to kind of fade away. But at the end of the day, we're all retail investors. Most of us have 401ks yeah. and you know, we should be able to vote with our, our dollar and where we're investing. Amen. No, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're speaking to the choir, brother, because <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, I mean, definitely every state pension fund, uh, every large asset manager, it's there's all kinds of ordinary people that are um, stand behind. Right. So, so to that note, let me let me pose a one thing that has been very much on the top of our mind. And I think is at the crux of what we're really, you know, trying to do here is um, all of those institutions that you just mentioned that manage money, 
Um, if I, as an individual, was participating in any of those programs or even with a private employer, it is nearly impossible to uh, basically not invest in a company that's in an index that that fund holds. If I mm -hmm. wanted to go into any 401k program and right. say, look, I don't want oil, gas, or tobacco, the yep. amount of resistance that you would get up and down and all of a sudden they're pointing at back returns and, well, you don't want to rock the ship. Like that's where, and I know you guys have had some conversations around ESG, but like mm -hmm. that, that is such a, that is like, I haven't run the exact numbers on it, but it's got to be in the tens of billions of, of dollars, if not trillions of passive money that is locked up in Philip Morris, Altria, ExxonMobil, mm -hmm. all of these companies, yet the, the arguments against Tesla entering the S&P when that was a thing is just like insulting to everybody involved and in the future. So I also like want to shine a light on a lot of like the lack of innovation that is really happening there. We need more of it and it needs to happen faster. And ultimately, I think it's going to come from the employees and the startups that go to these 401k providers that say, you better start to change or else I'm going to fire you. And I don't think that a lot of those people have really had to work that hard. Um, and I think you're, you're going to start to see that really start to, you know, that energy start to spill over into, um, you know, the private 401ks. Yeah, well, for sure, it's a huge issue. And as you alluded to, we have had some discussions with other folks um, earlier in the week about um, ESG investing and um, the products that are available for, to, for doing that. And and I will say, I, I have some sympathy for your, for your um, premise that there is not as much energy um, behind this as there might be. On the other hand, there, there are legitimate questions and concerns that I think people are trying to grapple with um, in terms of creating um, intuitive and consistent standards about how people identify themselves as, you know, sort of green funds, for example, or mutual funds that are, um, you know, make only sustainable investments. Um, you know, that it, if, if you, if, if you want to give people that choice um, and empower them in terms of um, where they invest their money, then there needs to be some integrity around the system by which you create those classifications. And it's, it just, it doesn't, I, th I think it still feels like we're a long, a long way away from, from getting there. And while we're figuring that out, we can every, every other week that the entire country gets paid that contributes to 401k, it contributes another, you know, out of every hundred dollars that gets put into a 401k, I think it's something like two to 3% of that goes into oil, gas, and tobacco. So mm -hmm. we're still trying to figure out the methodology for how we like measure ESG, but it's like, Come on, look, like if we can just pull three companies or four companies out of that calculation and add the other four, that has a multi-trillion dollar impact downstream to fuel the future. So I understand and recognize the point about like classifications, but come on, MSCI, like where's the competition? How many other like data companies have real and 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 you know legitimate players have entered the industry? Like MSCI is in bed with everybody. And um, I don't know. I think it's it's something that we need to, you know. It's gonna again. It's gonna come from somewhere like a Wall Street bets, where it's like, oh shit, this matters. And I think you're gonna see some workforces really start to turn. I mean, you see the protests happening inside of big tech companies. Wait, you know, it's coming for the banks. You know, you're you're feeling it too. And I think Reed can speak a little bit to the energy that comes from wanting to see these employers change their business practices, especially with a remote remote work environment. So, I think you're really starting to see a fundamental shift happen here about money and where and where it's parked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I actually wanted to get back a little tie in to what you're saying, Brian, and sort of this social media revolution on Wall Street that you just mentioned, Wall Street bets. Uh, previously, we've done podcasts with um, Occupy a Job on Wall Street, 
Arbitrage, Andy, and Liquidity, who I, who I know you guys are, are close to, all were fantastic. And, and, and now we have Wall Street Confessions. And, you know, they, 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 everybody has different angles. And I, I mean that in a positive way. I'm just curious, like, um, how, do you, how do you think this can impact the culture on Wall Street? Is it having an impact on the culture of Wall Street? Are, are, is, are things changing? I mean, I mean, I'll let Re answer for for her specific uh, community, but I would say across the board, 100%. I mean, look, like liquidity is getting DMs, uh, you know, from with you know folks from you know that are on the trading floors. He's breaking news before Bloomberg, um, and I think that that just speaks volumes to the fact that people want to interact with liquidity as a creator and as an individual talent, um, and they don't want to interact with with Bloomberg as much. Like, I, I, there's a role for Bloomberg, and I'm, I have you know nothing against them as a as an institution. Um, you know, I have my I, you know, qualms with them, but I think you're starting to see that that energy that I that I spoke to shift to you know to these creators. Um, and then I'd say like you know look, it's it you know lit stuff is making is making the news. Wall Street Confessions is making the news. Um, it, it's forcing people and employers to stand up. I mean, you see the impact that you know when Jamie Dimon goes out and you know says whatever he's saying about Bitcoin. It's like he's like th these creators are the ones that are going to set the set the trend on social of like what the feedback is for that. And I think uh, it's important that when uh, these companies are thinking about all of their, you know, all the stakeholders, as they like to say, is, uh, you know, you got to keep in mind, like, you know, these people are your shareholders, and they're gonna, they're gonna let you know how they feel about it. So, um, you know, Elon's a perfect example. You're seeing this broader convergence between marketing departments and investor relations departments. You know, I think Elon has really been the one to pioneer this whole like, hey, you know, if, if you're a fan of Elon, you can invest in Tesla, you can buy a Tesla, you can, you know, show up to Tesla streams that double as investor relations. I think for the longest time, investor relations has been this kind of side department that nobody really thinks about. But now with the ability to show up to a McDonald's and show them your Robinhood account and say, yo, like, look, I own McDonald's stock. And for them to be able to re reward people for that, I think is a really powerful, uh, you know, new opportunity. And, and I think it's interesting because like Carnival Cruise Lines, I think has done this for years and other like, uh, like old, like, uh, institu like institutional American companies have done this, but it's never been as accessible. So I think you're really gonna see like marketing investor relations and loyalty um, really start to converge uh, over the next, you know, five, 10 years. Tristan, Ree, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as far as Wall Street confessions go, I think people really like the account and they like the idea of sending things into it because unlike Bloomberg um, or unlike any other news source, really, I won't go out of my way to interrogate them or look at their LinkedIn's unless, of course, they decide to share that. Um, and I think it's super telling that like the head of media, like one of the bulge brackets has reached out to me a few times and I've been able to like foster productive conversations with him. And through the, through the account, um, the gap is just kind of being bridged between junior employees and executives. I know there's a bunch of people who, silent, <clears throat> who silently follow the account, whether that's like middle market shops in Chicago, it's like uh, in Chicago, like um, there's someone, uh, sorry, I have a cold right now. Um, there's a woman who's literally the head of the bank and one of my friends had to send me a message and say, oh, she follows you, I had no idea. And I was like, oh wow, I'm going to reach out to her. So I think there's definitely um, a level playing field on Wall Street confession. Well, speak, speaking of who follows you, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question, but I you know, I know you got Rich Handler and uh, the lady you just mentioned, and I, I read Paris Hilton, but I also heard 
Carol Baskin. Now, that's a that's that's her name, right? From Tiger King. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, John? I do know yeah, who you're Carol talking Baskin about. Oh, that's is crazy. To Ray. Oh, wow. All and right. and don't 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 feel weirded by it, Ree. But I did some homework, and I know you you had a conversation with her. I think you might have even had a Zoom. And it's it's slightly off topic to this, but I, I think our listeners would love it to is, hear but the it's story. Fascinating. Yeah. I want to hear the answer. Yeah, there too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I was on Clubhouse uh, while I was working for Brian and I was talking to her and I was like, you're a girl boss. Oh my God. And um, <laughs> she just followed me on everything. And then I reached out and I was like, you should make some NFTs with Bullish. So it was Brian, um, Jordan, the creative director at Bullish and myself on a call with Carol Baskin. And I was like, am I living in a simulation? <laughs> um, like how far is quarantine taking me? Um, so that's kind of what happened there. That's that's interesting. Well, I was going to ask, in, in, in terms of Wall Street con confessions, there's obviously a fair amount of curating um, uh, that, that goes into figuring out um, uh, what you post. H how do you decide uh, what not to include or what are the things you think about um, in terms of screening out stuff that you think would a great question, be John. less of? Well, thank you, Ronan. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, sometimes people send me things that are just so clearly false and aren't <laughs> happening. Um, when I was 20, someone sent me the exact plot line to the show Billions, and I messaged one of my friends who was a banker, and I was like, this is not happening, right? And he's like, no, no, like no one's breaking that news to you. That's the plot of Billions. And I was like, oh, great. Um, and people since then have sent me like the plot lines to like Succession or The mm. Big Short, and I'm like, I'm not posting any of this. Mm. But um, aside from that, I try to post what's relevant to the current conversation and I try to keep it relatively buttoned up. Um, there's some really insane stuff that only myself and the editor uh, and the person who edits my newsletter gets to see. Uh -huh. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you'll show it to us, right? I mean, uh, um, of course, we're, we're in the yeah. family now. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I, admittedly, I, I don't even have an Instagram account. How does this work? People send, how, how do people send you things for you to curate to then post on your Instagram? Yeah, so I have a website, wallstreetconfessions.co. Um, there's a form on there. People send things in. And then sometimes um, they DM me and it goes to my message request. This is kind of my favorite thing. It's obviously like some frustrated 24, 23-year-old. Um, and they think I don't see it because it's like 1 a.m. And I'm, I'm always on my phone. And when I wake up in the morning, the message is gone. So there's like a... They unsend things. Oh, they do like a recall? Time, they're like, I should not yeah, have sent that do. drunk mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah, they're like, revert. Um, sometimes they send them in with a website and they'll send like five more confessions in, like adding this detail, adding that detail. Actually, please don't post this. People will find out it's me. And I'm like, okay. John, don't you do it. I won't do it. Don't worry, Ronan. I won't do it. Um, I I, like oddly enough, I, yeah, I know. You have to say that at least once in every episode. Um, I do, though. Another question for Ree, right? So, I mean, I, I, I guess I'd be curious how you would describe your community. Because I, I, we were talking about liquidity's community, and and obviously I know we, we've 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 talked about who's posting there, but I'd be curious if you have sort of a description on who you think your community is, what the who, what the demographics are, etc. Yeah, I mean Brian has a sales pitch for this. One, <laughs> I guess I'll Here go, go first. Let's um, see if they if they match you know. up. <laughs> People from 20 to, 22 to 25 living in either New York, Miami, or Los Angeles working in finance. Those are usually the bankers. And then I think there's 
people from around 28 to 30 something. There's other VPs and the associates. And then there's this whole slew of people in their 40s and 50s who make up, I would say 30 or 40% of my audience the last time I checked. They don't really respond unless it's once in a blue moon. And they're like, I've been, they comment back to like some poor like 22 year old. And they're like, I've been working in finance for all of my life. You are completely wrong. Here's every, like every <laughs> single place I've ever worked. They drop the mic and then they leave and I never hear from them again. Mm -hmm. But um, I just think it's various finance professionals coming together. Interesting. So, I mean, one other um, question I had, so you're also uh, part of this group called StockWits, which um, presumably provides a forum for various kinds of investors, traders, entrepreneurs, other folks to um, sort of all um, communicate. Any kind of relatively open platform like that, um, I assume you always have the issue where you potentially have all kinds of people that have um, agendas or vested interests that aren't necessarily apparent. Um, you know, there's obviously been um, issues and questions about the Reddit rooms and, you know, whether there are people that are, uh, you know, have, have trading positions that they're trying to sort of manipulate one way or the other. Is that, is that something you think about? Is it something that you think is a concern on any of those? Is it anything that you try to, 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 to deal with or prevent, or is that even possible? StockTwits, um, I can't really speak for my employer, but we have a very strong community moderation team and they are on the website 24 seven, checking the streams, responding to support. And what I can say for Wall Street confessions is that oftentimes there are new cryptocurrencies and by oftentimes I mean every two minutes. And some of them take the liberty of finding my comment section and commenting the ticker over and over and over again in an attempt to make it go up. So I have a handle on that considering it's maybe one or two posts. Um, my ring light just died, which is very fun for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think StockWits has their own thing going on and they're very diligent about um, maintaining the integrity of streams. Cool, so I, I wanted to ask you about your new- Brian was gonna oh, Brian. answer that. Okay, Excuse go me. for it, well, Brian. Look, I, I think there's, yeah. <laughs> I'd say that there's obviously just to, to, to kind of follow up on that, like, and, and not speaking specifically about any one platform, but when it comes through, when it comes to like, you know, generally like your comment about people who have uh, their tension intentions aren't exactly clear. I think that it's really easy to point the finger at a lot of kind of retail environments, like places where there's, you know, a lot of social activity, but I would really encourage, you know, to the industry to look back on itself and just even, and I, I keep coming back to kind of JV Diamond's kind of remarks about Bitcoin. And it's like, if you, if you see somebody at the top of an organization like that who is specifically responsible for understanding what the hell is going on in our financial, in, in the financial kind of community and market and just industry, the fact that he's out there calling this, you know, very valuable asset worthless, and while they're also likely owning it and offering it to customers, it's just like... Mm. He kind of sounds like somebody that's just as crazy as some random pump and dump crypto person, but on the opposite side of the spectrum. So mm -hmm. I think like it's it's a little like there's definitely cleaning up that needs to happen in certain areas, and there's pump and dumps that that do happen, and they're using a lot of modern you know techniques. But I'd also really encourage everybody to remember that like J.P. Morgan got fined nine hundred million dollars at this time last year for manipulating the oil market or the, the heavy metal markets. 
Like that's fucking crazy. $900 million fine. And of course there's some like crypto pumps, but that's wild. If you think about the fines that the SEC hands out to individuals that have been in charge for that, I mean, it's in the single millions. So yeah. I think that like, you know, it's the financial institutions that are the ones that should probably be looking a little bit more internally at like what they're doing just due to the nature of like, look, their track record speaks, speaks for itself. Absolutely. Um, I was going to get to, um, well, I'm going to get to Ree's new newsletter, but I, I wanted to ask, uh, Sarah, if there's any questions uh, you, you think would be fitting at this point, or should I move along? Sure, we have a couple that we can go through before we go on. So here's one uh, for Re. Um, there's a lot of press right these days about influencers uh, who've become very successful, making real money. Um, what would you say uh, is needed to be successful in that area in terms of skills, network, content to get started? Um, I can only assume it's not as easy as, uh, some greats, the greats like yourself have made it look. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that what's needed is just this primal need to sell and create content. And like, I didn't even realize that I was good at selling until I started working for Brian. But, um, as I like started like thinking back to it, I've always just been a natural at kind of selling myself and selling the brand, et cetera. And, you know, once I started Wall Street Confessions, I was 19, I was posting twice a day, every single day, messaging the majority of my followers to be like, hey, thank you for following. By the way, what bank do you work at? I'm an undergrad, blah, blah, blah. And I always <laughs> made it a point to be super, super engaging with my community, almost to a fault. And I think you really, really need a drive and a passion for what you're doing. Um, and I've shared my story various times, but something that's very near and dear to my heart about Wall Street Confessions is when women send in their confessions about what goes on with them on Wall Street. Um, and if I didn't have such a community, if Wall Street Confessions didn't include a community of such strong and brave women, um, there's a high chance that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. And I would probably have given it up to work at some bank. So I really think it's all about passion and drive. It's about that. And obviously for you to perform that um, function successfully, the people you're trying to reach need to trust you. There needs to be a certain amount of trust. Um, and they obviously, uh, and, and that, that you, you, both your story and the way you communicate it and the way you communicate with them uh, gives them reason to think that they should feel comfortable and they can trust you. And I assume that that's an important part of it too. Yeah, all about trust. Very good, John. Thank you, Rona. <laughs> so, uh, uh, oh, go ahead, Sarah, please. Sorry, here's just one, uh, one more for Brian, um, a follow-up about uh, your comment about traditional and social media. Uh, do you think there comes a time when traditional news is relegated to headlines and then social media becomes the place where uh, news is interpreted and validated. Uh, curious about your thoughts. And then there was a connected question for Re of whether you see um, Wall Street Confessions as a place that might eventually be breaking news more. Um, things like Dumois on Instagram, um, would you see yourself having that kind of uh, more journalistic role in the future? Yeah. Um, so I, I would, uh, I think it's a good question. And I would, uh, what I would say is, is that, um, there's, there's a role for journalism uh, and, and free media across the board, and we need more of it. Um, I think that that's where, you know, I, one of the things that we're very committed to at Bullish and what we're doing is trying to bring a sustainable and potentially lucrative business model to media, journalism, and news. 
So it is something that like uh, we're working on every day here to, to work to figure that out. Um, so, you know, we, we very much believe that, you know, information should be free and accessible and that we do need to live in a world where there are journalists and um, kind of going back to, you know, my, my remarks about just like investor relations and stuff like there's not that much, like there's not a whole lot of journalists, you know, we've got a couple of very, you know, big institutional players, but there's not a whole lot of like new media uh, companies built around, you know, finance. So we definitely, um, there's definitely going to be a role there. But I think what you're starting to see is that the engagement and the kind of um, passion for different kind of uh, topics uh, and people are going to continue to build around individual personalities where, you know, we will start to get more and more of our information from those sources, uh, whether that's good or bad. I think we'll, we'll have to, you know, let the jury decide to that. But I will leave you with this fact that like, since 2008, if you look at the financial literacy uh, statistics in this country, we've only gone down. So whatever's been happening in the past hasn't been working. Um, so I'd say that we do need some change happening to a lot of our existing financial media uh, you know, found, um, institutions, and there's a lot of work that needs to get done there. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, don't, don't get me started on the media. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, way of looking at me. Well, I, I guess uh, along the lines of uh, Sarah's follow-on question to Re, I'll just insert bef before you answer that. It, I, I think it ties nicely to uh, your new newsletter, and I'm curious what that is and where you see that going. Yeah, so the Wall Street Confessions newsletter is sent out twice a week, every week, and in it is exclusive confessions that I kind of handpick. Um, and some of them I would maybe get in trouble for if I posted on Instagram. Um, so they kind of live in the newsletter. There's a paid version and a free version. And myself and my editor, Ali, we work very hard to make sure that there's proper research put behind the captions in the newsletter. Um, it goes so much more deeper than an Instagram caption. I mean, we've been sourcing CNBC, et cetera, and we've been pointing to real studies that back up not only what I think, but what Ali thinks because her voice is as important as mine and uh, as important as mine is in writing it. Um, and I think in the future, it'll just continue to give everyone a different point of view every week. Um, and to the question about me being like Des Moines on Instagram, I think liquidity has kind of, capture that title. I mean, Brian was saying earlier, before it goes on Bloomberg, it goes on liquidity. And for Des Moines, before it goes on page six and TMZ, it goes on that account. Um, and I'm very much- We had him on the, on the yeah, podcast. I, I know, I was just liquidity. gonna, when liquidity was on the podcast, John tried to ask him about- I did try to, do you happen to know who he is? Brian knows, I don't know. Ask leading questions. Oh, Brian knows, okay. Brian is his agent. Brian's not gonna tell us all, Brian, tell us. Well, no, he's not gonna tell the entire audience, but after we go offline, he can tell us. No comment. I actually, funnily enough, it was liquidity, right? I saw something in the last day or so where he hired someone and then they took a photo of the new hire, but liquidity had his back to the camera. But yeah. what I noticed is he has dark hair. So that's He's the got first a, yeah. There's a good, there's a good oh. photo of him in the, in the New Yorker when they profiled him. But yeah, we, we work with a variety of uh, anonymous accounts. Uh, Parikh Patel on, uh, on, on Twitter, Ramp Capital, uh, well, you know, Wall Street Confessions formally. Um, and there's, there's a few others, but um, you know, we, we, we generally know uh, most I, of them. Actually, well, we, liquidity, if you're watching this, and I can't imagine why you would be, but if you are, I we, think we you should come man. back and we'll, uh, yeah, I thought we should do one in person, but he could do it like with a paper oh, bag over his head. Because no, you keep trying to grab it. 
Yeah. Ree, when All you right. started uh, Wall Street Confessions, she's looking at us like, you're, you're <laughs> ready. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck am I? Why did I yeah, do why, this? Why did I do this? And like, but uh, you, were, you were an anonymous account. Yeah, correct? it was. Um... And uh, how, how does that work? And then uh, at one point you, you, you came out and said, I'm Ree. How, how does that work? I'm so old. I don't know this. Just it's a gen, it's a genuine question. I think I was like half anonymous because people would DM me and like within a few months of starting the account, I got a private equity internship um, interview out of it just by like DMing my oh, followers. Really? So there was like a handful of people, and a lot of people in New York like knew who I was when um, I was going to school, and I would kind of just show them the account and be like, actually, I run Wall Street Confessions. Um, but then Business Insider reached out to me, and they're like, we'd love to profile you, da, da, da. And I was like, oh, my God, like, someone wants to write an article about me. Um, and looking back at it, didn't put uh, too much thought into it. I was 20. I had e-girl hair. Like, the whole front of my hair was blonde. Um, and What's I was that called? Just e-girl hair? E-girl hair. Um, and I was just the epitome of, like, internet kid. And just from there, I really started thinking of it as a business. I started thinking about, like, what are my next steps for, or what am I, what are my steps for, like, the next six months or the next year? Interesting. So we follow that up with, John, do you want to ask the question? This is our question of questions. We ask every guest on our podcast, so you're pretending you don't know the question. Oh, well, that one. Okay. All right. Well, are we, well, do you want to ask if there's any more questions from the audience? Are we done? Are we well, done? I'll let, I'll let, we've, yeah, we've, we've hit on most of them. So um, <laughs> if you don't have anything else you want to cover, go ahead. Okay. All right. Okay. So the question that we always ask on our, which and it's getting a little tired at this point, but we've always asked it. So we have to ask it every guest is, can you please tell us what is your favorite Wall Street movie and why? Oh, um, it's funny. I was just Ray, watching Wall it. Street before this and I texted Brian. I was like, I'm preparing. Um, but I think. <laughs> I you watched a movie for this um, guy. That's the most preparation yeah, any guest has exactly. yeah. American Psycho through and through because there's just such a commentary on the culture mm. and I couldn't get through the book because go. every other word was some designer brand. But watching the movie, um, it just kind of gave me this very not so charmed, but mm. also at the same time, charmed image of Wall Street. Um, and who doesn't love Christian Bale? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that was like the first big breakout performance by him, I think. That was an excellent yeah, movie. That was great, yeah. Yeah, and right. um, my, mine's uh, The Game with Michael Douglas. Oh, man, yeah, that's that yeah. a great movie. Yeah, and I just, uh, I like it because it's just like such a, I think a lot of what like the entire show, the premise of it, I think is what, uh, a lot of bankers and a lot of like just people in the industry are facing is just like this being burnt the fuck out and just needing a totally different worldview. And uh, he got it. So uh, I just, yeah, I, I rewatched that one like once a year being like, fuck, that's crazy. Um, and and it's, like, the- it's interesting to see it spill over into just like billions too on how they go on their ayahuasca trips and shit just to like clear their brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to do something to clear our brain. Do you want me to I'll play the game on you? You, you, you? you won't want that hurt. Trust me. No, no. The guy throws not. himself off a building at the end. Okay, no, no, he's no, killing himself and he no, does. No, I don't want to give you yeah, any way. give you any rope at yeah. all. No. It's an old movie. If you haven't seen it, no, now. but it's. A, I think it's. You're the first person to actually ever yeah, you, you give are. that answer. So yeah. we should give you some yeah. very special. Uh, yeah. So for for that. For that but mm-hmm. we're also going to give it to Reed because mm-hmm. we yes. give, give all yes. 
We always say no one leaves here with nothing. So our usual next guests receive it next mm -hmm. to nothing. Mm -hmm. Receive a pair of boxes and lion socks. They're mm -hmm. very, very comfortable. They're very, mm -hmm. very, com uh, they're mm -hmm. very colorful. Mm -hmm. But because you're on boxes and lion live, we're also going to send you a uh, responsibly sourced marine layer <laughs> hoodie. Which you um, guys how do you know, know that? How do you know where it was sourced? Well, maybe that's, that's, like what, research that's, that's what Mark comes telling me. Okay, it says right. marine layer. So right. I think Sarah's responsible. Like she that. told us. And then, then we'll send you a Nike hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, probably not responsibly sort, but we, we, we really yeah. appreciate you guys joining us. You, you've been great guests. Um, you topped off uh, the, the triple threat of uh, the Reddit apes. The apes, ESG, uh -huh. BlackRock and, and ESG. And yes, no, 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 absolutely. Um, it's been a... Yeah. Uh, it's been a fun, a fun, it's been a fun uh, week, even though John thinks it Monday was like six weeks ago, but thank you very exactly. much for coming on. We really, really thank appreciate you. it. And we'll follow up and send you our IX responsibly sourced swag. <laughs> appreciate that. Have appreciate a great that. night, everyone. Thanks, Thanks so much. Jeffrey. Thanks, to Brian. Both of you. Goodbye. <laughs> There's Theodore Jackson. Take care. and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.